Well, I'd like to have you turn with me to a familiar verse in the Bible. Who knows what the most often thought of verse is in the Bible? It's actually Genesis 3 where he said, I was naked, so I hid myself. No, that's, you're right. It's, it's John chapter 3. John chapter 3. And I want to start from the beginning. Actually, you know what the most often quoted verse is? It's not John chapter 3. It's the passage that says, judge not. Because a lot of lost people in the world know that verse. They say, you're judging me. Don't judge. Judge not lest you be judged. That's quoted all the time. And go to verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees whose name was Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now, the name Nicodemus means victory of the people. You've probably heard of Nike shoes, and Nike means victory in Greek, and his name is related. Victory of the people. His name is only mentioned five times in the Bible. All five times are found in the book of John. One uh, commentary in history tells us that Nicodemus, and this is coming from Adam Clark's commentary, was the son of Gorion. He's mentioned in the Jewish writings. He lived during the time of Vespasian. And it's said that he was so rich he could support all the inhabitants of Jerusalem for ten years. He was a ruler. He wasn't just a Pharisee. And they were the most religious and fastidious and zealous of the law. But he was a ruler, meaning he was part of the Sanhedrin. Later in the Gospel of John, during one of their Sanhedrin was the 70 elders that were the Supreme Court for the Jewish nation. During one of their hearings, Nicodemus speaks up in defense of Jesus. And he was criticized for doing so. So he's a religious man. He's a godly man. He's a man who is zealous of the law. He has been impressed that there's something extraordinary about Jesus. There's something honest in his heart. And so he evidently has a relationship with the Apostle John through common relatives. You remember during the crucifixion, John says he was akin to someone that kept the door for the high priest. So they let John go in to the judgment hall. He went all the way in. Peter stayed outside and hung out with the servants and ultimately denied Jesus. But So John had this connection, and maybe through John, that's why it's in his gospel, John arranged for a, a secret private interview. Now the reason Nicodemus wanted to meet with Jesus at night, it was hard to see very well back in Bible times at night. Their artificial light was lamp light. You couldn't see very well. When Judas came to betray Jesus, they said, you better go right up to him and kiss him because it's dark and we're not going to know which one it is. So he wanted to meet secretly because Jesus at this point was very unpopular among the other Pharisees in the Sanhedrin. They were already beginning to plot his death. And he thought, look, if I'm going to meet with Jesus, uh, I'd like to talk to him alone because it could uh, be bad for my reputation. Do you know there's no such thing as a secret Christian? Because if you try to be a secret Christian, your secrecy will destroy your Christianity. Or... If you're a genuine Christian, 
your real Christianity will destroy the secrecy. So if you think you're getting by as a secret Christian, you're probably not a Christian. Because a real Christian has a hard time keeping it secret. First thing that happens when a person is born again is they want to tell somebody else. So in Nicodemus, in Nicodemus he's kind of riding the fence, comes to Jesus at night, and he begins to shower Jesus with platitudes. He said, Rabbi, calling Jesus a teacher, we know who's the we in this story. Is it the other religious leaders? Is it the people? We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus said, look, if you don't believe me, believe for the miracle's sake. And even in our study last night about that blind man, blind from birth, had his eyes open. And the blind man said, we know that someone has to be from God if they can do something that is an act of creation like this. And before he can really get to his first question, Jesus gets right to the heart of the matter. Jesus is reading Nicodemus' heart. And you read in the previous chapter, John chapter 2, it tells us there that Christ said he did not commit, and this is verse 24, John 2, Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men. And he needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. One of the things that makes God God is because God can read your heart. The devil can tempt you and stand back and look at your expressions but the Bible says God and God only knows the thoughts of men's hearts. And one evidence that Jesus is God the Son is because he frequently knew what people were thinking. He didn't guess, he knew. And he would answer their thoughts. He did at the feast in Simon's house because he knew Simon was thinking this man, if he was a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is that's touching him for she's a sinner. When he sat in Peter's house and that paralyzed man was let down through the roof and he said, son, your sins are forgiven. Then those who are around him reasoned among themselves, who is this man that speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking. He often answered their thoughts. He could read their minds. He knew what was in man. And before Nicodemus even got to the question, Jesus got to the heart of the answer. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus didn't say, it's helpful if you're born again. Jesus didn't say, it will improve your odds if you're born again. Jesus did not say, it is recommended that you're born again. Jesus said, it is absolutely essential that you are born again, because if you are not born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So if you're to evaluate your preparedness for Christ's coming, the most important litmus test would be, have you been born again? A number of years ago, the Gallup survey company put that question to a number of Americans that profess Christianity, and only 30% of professed Christians said, I am born again. Matter of fact, Jimmy uh, Carter was the first American president, being a Christian, that said, I am a born-again Christian. Up then it was considered, oh, you know, that sort of sensational feeling. These kinesthetic Christians all talk about the new birth. <laughs> you can't get around it, friends. Jesus said, unless you're born again, do you know that you're born again? 
How many of you know you've been born once? <laughs> Just want to make sure you're all still with me. But the Lord says you need to be born twice. If you're only born once, you will die twice. But if you are born twice, you'll die once. You may not die at all if you're alive when Jesus comes. Want to hear an amazing fact? When Shad and Carrie McCartney say that their infant daughter, Macy Hope, was born again, they're not referring to religion. Their miracle baby really was born twice. During Carrie's 23rd week of pregnancy, the couple went to their obstetrician's office for a simple ultrasound. They wanted to know, was it a boy or a girl? But at that time, they discovered that McCartney's baby girl had a non-cancerous but deadly tumor growing off of her tailbone. The fast-growing tumor was robbing vital blood from their baby, and the doctors were sure without medical intervention, their unborn child had no chance of survival. The tumor was a very fast-growing tumor. It was going to rob all the blood from the baby. There was only a couple of hospitals in North America that could do this kind of virtually microscopic surgery. The Texas Children's Center in Houston was the one that was chosen. The doctors told the McCartneys their baby had a less than 10% chance of surviving the surgery. So they wanted to give her a name. Just in case, they named her Macy Hope. And so they proceeded with the surgery. Six months into her pregnancy, the surgeons gently removed a tiny five-ounce baby girl. Not even a pound, five ounces. Using these, like I said, microscopic instruments, they successfully removed the tumor. They placed the baby back within the mother's womb, and then at full term, she had a normal birth, and they delivered a perfectly healthy baby girl. And so they enjoyed telling everybody, our baby has been born twice. Not sure which birthday to celebrate. You need to be born again. Jesus said, most assuredly. Now, when he said this to Nicodemus, Nicodemus acted like he was perplexed by all of this. He said, how can a man be born when he is old? And he's saying rhetorically, maybe even a little sarcastically, can he enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Uh, you know, it's a picture we won't take too far, but I think about when, you ever seen these kangaroos? The baby kangaroo is called a joey. I've been to Australia a few times, and we were out petting kangaroos one day, and <laughs> Nathan was feeding the kangaroo, and he got a pretty good kick from the kangaroo. And uh, about these little baby kangaroos, you know, they're hopping around, and when they're little, uh, you'll see the mother hopping around, their little heads sticking out of the pocket. Pouch. They crawl out, and they're hopping around, they're feeding, and if something spooks them, they go running back to mom, and they jump back in. And what's funny is sometimes they get to the point where they're just barely fit. And you'll see this nearly half-grown kangaroo trying to jump back into the pouch again, and its feet are sticking out. <laughs> How much more absurd that a man should enter again within his mother's womb and be born again. And Jesus repeats to him, 
Verse 5, Most assuredly, I say, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, when Jesus said born of the water, some people have misunderstood this, and they thought Christ was talking about unless you're born, you know, a baby's in an envelope of water before it's born, and so being born of the water, they meant being born of a woman, the natural birth, and then born of the Spirit. You need the natural birth and you need the spiritual birth. I don't believe that's what Jesus is talking about. I think when he said born of the water, he's talking about water baptism, something you choose, spirit baptism, something God chooses. You need both baptisms. Because why would Christ say, unless you're born of a woman and born of the Spirit, just checking again, how many here were born of a woman? <laughs> Things are changing these days. You have to ask now. It's, this is a strange time we're living in. You've got to double-check the sign on the bathroom and everything. It's really odd times we're living in. But I would suspect everybody here was born of a woman. So that would be redundant for Jesus to say, unless you're born of a woman and born of the Spirit, you can't... No. He's saying, unless you're born of the water, that means you surrender yourself, you make the choice, you come to God. You can make that decision. But then there's a decision God makes. And you must be born of the Spirit. Children of Israel, when they came out of Egypt, they were baptized in the water and they were baptized in the Spirit before they entered the Promised Land. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, when the children of Israel went down into the Red Sea, he says they were baptized in the sea and they were baptized in the cloud, that pillar of fire. We need the water baptism. They had to choose to go forward, but God is one who chose to give them the fire baptism. Christ both happened at the same time. He went down in the water and the Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove. The disciples were baptized in water by John the Baptist and they were baptized in fire at Pentecost when the tongues of fire appeared on their head. Our world will someday be created anew. God will create a new heavens and a new earth. But in the days of Noah, it is baptized in water. When Christ comes again, it will not be baptized in water. 2 Peter 3 says it will be baptized in fire. Even our world needs a water and a fire baptism. Now, if you're a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, I can just about guarantee you have been baptized, immersed. Like a good Baptist, you've had water baptism. And somehow, some of us believe that's all that's required. We can, as a church, vote you into membership when you've had water baptism but you will not be admitted into heaven without spirit baptism. There are going to be people in heaven that maybe did all kinds of things wrong on earth. I expect to see John Newton there. He wrote Amazing Grace. He smoked cigars until the day he died. Martin Luther, I expect to see him there. He drank beer. King David will be there. Had too many wives. His son had way too many wives. But all of them will be there because they were born of the Spirit. So if you're doing all the other things right, but you get that wrong, you are disqualified. Those aren't my words. Those are Christ's words. You must be born again. Have you received the Holy Spirit? Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? The single most important thing we could pray for as a people is the Holy Spirit. Jesus, when he talks about answering prayer, he said, if your son asks for a loaf of bread, will you give him a rock? If he asks for a fish, will you give him 
a serpent? If he wants an egg, will you give him a scorpion? And then Luke adds this at the end of those three options. He says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? So when Jesus said, ask and you'll receive, you know, the one thing he mentions we should specifically be asking for. What did Solomon ask for when God said, what shall I give you? You say wisdom. That's true. Do you know in Kings it says, it doesn't use the word wisdom. Kings, he says, give me an understanding heart that I might know how to tell between good and evil. And in Chronicles in the story there, it uses the word wisdom. But really, wisdom is one of the gifts of the Spirit. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And so what Solomon prayed for was the Holy Spirit. When God, when Elijah said to Elisha, what shall I do for you before I'm taken away from you? What did Elisha ask for? A double portion of your spirit. Where did Elijah get his spirit? Spirit of God. And Moses said the Lord governing these people is just too much. God said, get 70 elders together and I will take of the spirit that is on you and I will put it on them. Most important thing we all need to be praying for is the Holy Spirit. If you'd like to have more victory when you're struggling against temptation, what is the most important weapon? The power of the Spirit. Not by might or by human power, but by what? By thy Spirit. So it's astonishing to heaven that we pray so little for the thing we need so much. Ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain, and he'll send flashing clouds. Zechariah tells us we need to be praying for the Holy Spirit. We need to pray for the Holy Spirit not only to live the life, we need to pray for the Holy Spirit to share our faith. You ever been visiting with someone and you're not knowing what to say next or how to introduce spiritual things into the conversation and just send up a quick prayer? So, Lord, guide me by your Spirit. That's what it means walking with the Lord, to have a Spirit-led life. That's something we need to be prayed for. To be baptized in the Spirit is to be immersed in the Spirit, to be born again. Just like a baby is in that envelope of water, we need to be surrounded with that water, that living water, and then we come into a new life and we breathe a new breath. And this is not a new teaching. Jesus chastised Nicodemus. He says in verse 10, Are you a teacher in Israel and you don't know these things? Now that means before you even write the New Testament, Jesus said the idea of the new birth is in the Old Testament. Ezekiel 18.30 Repent and turn every one of you from your transgressions so iniquity will not be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions with which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit for why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies. Jeremiah 31.33 This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I'll put my law in their minds and write them in their hearts. I will be to them a God and they will be to me a people. God wants our hearts. It's the new birth. It's a new creation. I remember the story of this man who uh, had a grandfather clock and the clock was somewhat valuable and he, it wasn't working anymore. So the problem with the clock was the hands were not telling correct time. So he unscrewed the middle knob there that hold the hands on the grandfather clock. He removed the hands, he wrapped them up in a napkin, and he brought them to the clocksmith. <laughs> and he said, uh, I've got this very valuable grandfather clock, and uh, it's not giving correct time anymore. 
And so I'd like to know if you could help me out. He said, well, I think I can. What have you got there? And he unfolds his napkin, and there's the two hands off the clock. And he says, what, what's this all about? He says, well, it's not telling appropriate time. The hands are always giving the wrong time. And the clockmaker looked at him bewildered, and he said, brother, if you want me to fix that clock, you've got to bring me the heart. It's not going to help if I move the hands around. Even a broken clock will tell the right time twice a day, right? Some of us think we're Christians because... We look like we're spirit-filled a couple of times a day. <laughs> Do you know people in prison keep the commandments of God when they're sleeping? And there's a lot of people that are in sleeping churches that have consoled themselves. They must be spirit-filled because they're not breaking all the commandments all the time. Need to be born again. You know, you ever heard that expression, lock, stock, and barrel? Yeah, the, the old guns were flintlock guns, and they really had three parts to them. You had the stock of the gun, the wooden stock. You had the barrel, and you had the trigger mechanism called the, the lock. This old farmer went to the gunsmith, and he said, uh, I'd like you to fix my gun. He said, what's wrong with it? He said, well, the barrel is bent, the lock doesn't work, and the stock is cracked. He said, so you're asking for me to fix lock, stock, and barrel. He says, you may as well just get a new rifle. And that's what the Lord is offering us. We're praying that God is going to make us new. God said to Samuel, 1 Samuel 10, 6, The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be turned into another man. It's like the story you've heard of Augustine. He was quite a partying, womanizing rascal before he was converted. And uh, he was walking up the streets of Milan one day, and one of his old girlfriends, a girl from the streets, said, Augustine. She called out to him, and he saw her, and he began to kind of hurry by. And she thought, well, he doesn't recognize me. And she started out behind him, Augustine, Augustine, it's I, Augustine, it's I. And he stopped, he turned around, he says, yes, but it's no longer I. <laughs> and he was fleeing from temptation. We become new creatures. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, how many things? All things are made new. And you know, I, I look back now, I remember not wanting to be a Christian because I thought Christians don't have any fun and I knew that there would be some restrictions and I thought there's music I like to listen to and Christians probably shouldn't listen to this music that I like. There's places I like to go, there's things I like to do and Christians, there's food I like to eat. If I'm going to be an Adventist, won't be able to eat that anymore. I'm not talking about ice cream. I'm never going to hear the end of that message. <laughs> but you know what? When the Lord got a hold of my heart, I listened to that old music, and it, it just, I have to plug my ears. I don't want to go to those places. I smell cigarette smoke, and I used to yearn for it. You know, when I quit smoking, I had it so bad. I'd see someone smoking across the street, walking down the street. I'd cross the street and walk behind them. I'm serious. So when they exhaled, I would inhale. 
It was that bad. I missed it so much. Now, I got a hotel room earlier this week where even though it was supposed to be non-smoking, someone was smoking in that room, and I just, it was awful. The things I once loved, I hate. And the things I once hated, I love. I remember first few times I went to an Adventist church. Well, you know, Pentecostal churches, it was a little easier because their music was sort of Christian words with worldly music, and I felt more at home. Not all of it, but some of it. But then I went to the Adventist church, and I went to an Adventist church that there were just, every head was either bald or gray. I mean, there were no young people in this church. Little church. And uh, the piano player sort of played on tune. I went because I loved the truth. But they would sing, and they'd sing these songs, and oh, it's so slow, and it was so, to me it was so painful. And it actually got to the point where I'd go in, I'd look at the bulletin, I'd see what the closing song was, or what the opening song was, and uh, I'd turn to that song, and I'd see how many verses it had. If it had more than three verses, I'd go to the bathroom. <laughs> because it was painful for me. Because I was so used to this music that was, you know... And uh, then one day, I went, and it said there was this song called, I Will Sing of Jesus' Love. Okay, so I turned to see how many verses it was. I said, I'm going to read the verses. And I started looking at the verses. I will sing of Jesus' love, sing of him who first loved me, for he left the realms above and died on Calvary. And you know what? It suddenly occurred to me that I was thinking so much about the music, I wasn't paying any attention to the words and I started looking at the words in these hymns, and they were profound. And the theology was rich. And I started singing the hymns from my heart because it was my experience. And I stopped paying attention to how I sounded or anyone around me sounded. God wants us to sing. He made canaries and he made crows. And he, he... <laughs> the things I once loved, I... I hate. Psalm 51, David prayed, create, not repair, create in me a clean heart, O God. It's a new creation. Renew a steadfast, a right spirit within me. Moses had circumcised, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be stiff-necked no longer. It's to be a change of the heart. Galatians, referring to Moses, Galatians 6.15, Paul said, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. And this is the wonderful thing about the power of God's Word. God speaks and things change. His Word brings new things into existence. And the Lord is not just wanting to remodel the old person. He's wanting to make a new person. Remember in San Francisco a few years ago, Christmas Day, some men somehow got into the zoo. The zoo was closed. And there was a Siberian tiger. And they began to taunt the tiger. There's actually three of them. And uh, the tiger became so agitated that it managed to leap the fence that up to this time had always kept it contained. Jumped on the men, mauled all three of them, and killed one. And they shot the tiger. And of course, there was a lot of outrage. I heard you all say, oh. They shot the tiger for acting like a tiger. 
And uh, a little while ago, we heard about a gorilla that got killed for acting like a gorilla. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or leopard his spots? Then may you also do good who are accustomed to doing evil. Unless God gives you a new heart, you're going to keep gravitating back to the old ways. You've heard the story about the scorpion that came over to the frog and said, can you please take me across the creek? And the frog says, you crazy, you'll sting me. Scorpion says, look, I really need to get to the other side. Why would I sting you? I can't swim. We'll both drown. And the logic made sense. And so the frog cautiously said, okay, hop on. Scorpion got on the frog's back and he started to do his frog paddle across the pond. And the scorpion began to quiver and soon he stabbed the frog with his stinger. And as the frog's eyes were rolling back in his head, he said, why did you do it? The scorpion going down with him said, I couldn't help it, it's my nature. And the reason that sinners sin is because they're sinners. That's profound, right? God needs to recreate us. Jesus did not sin. We need a heart like His heart. We're not asking God to just take our old heart. We're asking us to give us a new heart. To put the heart of Christ within us. The Bible says, and you know, in the heart, in the Bible, it's talking about the mind. Let this mind be in you, which was also in who? Christ Jesus. And if you've got the Spirit of God, you'll have the mind of Christ. That's what it means to be born again. So how does it happen? How are we born again? Nicodemus says, Lord, how can a man be born again? You read the answer, 1 Peter 1.23. Peter says, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the Word. How are we born again? These words that I speak to you, Jesus said, they are spirit and they are life. People hear the Word and their hearts are stirred within them and they say, men and brethren, what shall we do? The Word brings conviction and the Word brings comfort. It's quick and it's powerful. It's living. And we receive the truth. We receive Christ by receiving His Word. By believing His Word, a supernatural transformation happens. And it says, let this mind be in you. That means that he will not force himself. He'll knock on the door of your heart and you need to open the door. You need to let him come in. You hear his word. You believe his word. You receive the word. Receive the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. So we shouldn't miss opportunities to hear the proclamation of the word. Um, it says, having been born again, again in 1 Peter 1.23, great verse, talks about the new birth, not of corruptible seed, the old nature, but incorruptible through the Word of God which lives and abides forever. Christ who lives and abides forever will come into us. Born of the water and born of the Spirit. Need to be baptized in the water. Make that choice. And you know what John the Baptist said before a person was baptized? They said, what shall we do? He said, bring forth fruits, meat for repentance. There needs to be our sorrow for sin and a willingness to turn away from sin. And you come to the Lord just like you are and 
Confess your sin. You know, and there's a, there's a, um, a trend that's going around I respectfully disagree with where some pastors are saying, well, you know, we'll baptize you in Jesus now and after you give up those pet sins, then we'll receive you into the church. That's a dangerous doctrine. And I've met pastors that say, well, yeah, I know they're struggling with smoking or drinking, but, you know, baptize them, let them come to Jesus and let Jesus work out those other things. They don't understand the new birth. They don't understand that now the ideal is that you experience a new birth before you're baptized. But just in case, you know, some people were born with the Holy Spirit before they were baptized in water. Cornelius and his family, they heard Peter preaching. The Holy Spirit fell upon them. They experienced the new birth. Peter said, who can forbid water that these should be baptized? Holy Spirit baptism first, then the water baptism. Jesus was baptized with both at the same time. And then you can read about people that were baptized in water, Acts chapter 19, and then the Spirit baptism came. It might happen a few different ways, but you've got to have both. Now the ideal is, pastors want to see that a person has been born again. That they've got, and at least you, you need to lay aside these things. That these sins that are binding you, what, does, what kind of testimony is it where you say, you're sitting in the bar, you're blowing smoke rings in a person's face, and you're saying, yeah, I just joined the church last week. What church? Oh, Seventh-day Adventist. Oh, really? What do they believe? <laughs> Obviously, not too much. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. God wants the people who will stand. Should show evidence, the fruits of the Spirit. And then Jesus goes on, and He says in verse 7 and 8, do you marvel that I say you must be born again? The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus, still bewildered, says, how can these things be? What are you talking about? Wind. Holy Spirit is sometimes hard to understand. It's fire, dove, wind. If when I'm flying, it's really important to know something about the wind when you come in for a landing. So Dwight Hall here earlier, I've flown with him before he's a pilot, he understands. You always want to fly into the wind when you land. If you have too much of a tailwind, it'll blow you right off the runway. But it's hard sometimes to see the wind when you're in the air unless you know where to look. Most airports have something very primitive. It's not electronic. It's called a wind sock. And I guess that's because a long time ago someone hung a sock on a pole by an airport so the pilots could tell which way the wind was going. You all know what I'm talking about? Sometimes you have to land somewhere there's no wind sock. If you find any water anywhere, look at the water. If there's any wind, you'll see ripples. And you can look at the water and tell which way the wind is going from the ripples. They're bigger at the one end of the pond, and it's usually smooth at the other end where the wind is coming from. If a farmer's out plowing in Sacramento, I look in which way the dust is blowing. Or if they're burning the rice fields, which way is the smoke going? You can't see wind, but you can see what the wind does. You can see it moving the trees. You can see the power, and you might say, how do they know they're born again? Just look at what it did to their lives. You can see the moving of the Spirit. Have you felt the wind of God's Spirit in your life? And he goes on. Are you a teacher in Israel? You don't know these things. Most assuredly, I say to you, verse 11, John 3, 11, we speak what we know, we testify what we've seen, and you do not receive our witness, meaning you, the, the Pharisees. If I've told you of earthly things and you do not believe, 
How will you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? You can't even understand the wind blowing. You can't understand a baby being born. How are you going to understand spiritual things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, the Son of Man who is in heaven. Some people are confused by that verse. They said, no one has descended from heaven, or no one's ascended to heaven. What about Elijah? What about Enoch? Christ is not saying that. Really, it would translate more accurately, no one has gone to heaven and come back to give us this information except the Son of Man. Matter of fact, Moses says, the Word of God is available. You don't need to say who will go up to heaven and bring it back to us that we can know it. Jesus is the Word. He is the only begotten sent from the Father. The only time man became incarnate, or God became incarnate, to show us the Word of God. He says, I've come to show you the Word of God. And then here you have these majestic verses. And as Moses, verse 14, lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you remember the story in the book of Numbers, the children of Israel going through the wilderness? They were getting tired of the manna. Manna, manna, manna. They had manna cereal for breakfast and manna sandwiches for lunch and manna loaf for dinner. And, and we're so spoiled, you know, in, in this country. I know at the Amazing Facts office, you know, we'll go out have lunch together from time to time and what do you want to eat today? I don't know. We had Mexican yesterday. Let's not do Mexican today. We don't want two days in a row. Though I can eat Mexican two days in a row. Let's go do Thai food. I don't know. Let's do Italian. Oh, we had Italian yesterday. We don't want to do that two days in a row. We have so many options, so much variety. A lot of the world that I go to, what did you have for breakfast? Rice. Lunch? Rice. Dinner? Rice. Really, you go to India, you go to China, some of those places, I mean, it's three times, that's all they have, rice, sometimes they'll have a little spice on it or something, piece of fruit or a vegetable. We're spoiled. Children of Israel, manna, 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 manna. We are, it was good. They just wanted, they said, oh man, we began to lust after the onions and the leeks of Egypt. Lusting after the flesh pots of Egypt. They didn't like the manna. Manna was miraculous bread from God. Got tired of the manna. They wanted something more exotic. That happens in the church every now and then. We get tired of the Word, you know, compared to the spicy things in the world. The Word might seem bland. And they began to cease appreciating this miraculous Word God was giving them, and they wanted the, the carnal bread of Egypt instead of the bread that came down from heaven. And the Bible says, the Lord sent a plague of serpents among them. See, when you reject the Word, the serpent comes in. Who's the serpent? You know the first question in the Bible is the devil asking, has God said? Has God? The devil questioning the Word of God. And he did it with a religious air. And when they began to reject the manna of God, the serpents came in, deadly serpents. How did Jesus fight the devil in the wilderness? It is written, it is written, it is written. If you take the bread away, the serpent comes in. How do we fight temptation? Thy word I have hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Are you feeding on the word of God? You know, if you're born again, you've got to still feed a baby. And the serpents came in. 
They called them fiery serpents. We don't know if that's because they were fiery red or there was a burning sensation when they bit. They called them fiery serpents. And many of the people were dying from the venom. And God told Moses, people came to Moses and said, what shall we do? We've sinned. God said, take a bronze serpent, put it on a pole. We talked about this the other night. Lift it up. See, shepherds back then all had staffs. They used these staffs for herding their sheep and their goats. Sometimes they had a crook on one end. If they had one that was going astray, they could snatch it by the knuckle on the leg and pull it towards them. And uh, if they saw a deadly jackal or something, they'd fight it off with their, their uh, staff in their hand. It was an instrument of protection. And if they killed a serpent, I've killed a lot of snakes. I was at... Uh, opened up an airplane hangar in Kovalo and kind of spooked me. Right when I opened up the hangar, there was a rattlesnake right there. And uh, fortunately, there was a broom nearby. So I took my staff and I smote the serpent. <laughs> and I didn't reach down with my hand and pick it up because sometimes you think they're dead and they're not. If you're going to kill a snake, you don't leave it laying around because if a person steps on a snake's head, even the dead fangs, if they pierce their foot or an animal that eats it, it can still hurt them even after the serpent's dead. Devil's been defeated, but how many of you know he's still deadly? So you pick it up with a stick. You take it out and you bury it. So when Moses lifted up the serpent on the pole, it was not an uncommon sight for the shepherd nation to see someone holding a dead serpent up on a pole. Lifting up that serpent represented a defeated serpent. And it was a type of Christ where he lifted up on the pole, took sin in himself and defeated the enemy. And he said, lift up this bronze serpent. Whoever looks and believes, he will be healed from the venom. We've all been bitten by the serpent. Amen? It's in our veins. We need a miraculous healing. You mean you look and you live? Christ said, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. That's too simple. Some people, when Moses gave the instructions and he sent it through the camp, I'm going to put this bronze serpent on a pole. I'll lift it up high enough for everybody to see. I'll stand on a prominent hill. If you look and believe, and people who are dying, they said, what? That's the craziest thing. They didn't look, they died. The ones who believed, they looked and they lived. And this is what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. As Moses, verse 14, lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, he knew that story, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now, the word lifted up had a double meaning in Christ's time. When he said, as Moses lifted up the serpent, Nicodemus knew that meant lifted up on a pole, but if you lived during the time of the Romans and you talked about being lifted up, it meant being crucified. You remember what Jesus said to Peter? You will stretch forth your hands. They knew that meant that he was going to be crucified. So the Son of Man must be lifted up. And whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Would you like eternal life? And then you've got our favorite verse, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him might not perish but have everlasting life. 
You know, that word so took on new meaning for me. A few years ago, I was uh, pastoring and a family called and there was a funeral for a child and uh, and this was earlier in my ministry and it's really hard when you see a little casket up front you know the little white casket and all these people are asking why and I, I did the funeral and traditionally then after you do the service and the, the funeral attendant comes out and says, you know, on behalf of the family, we want to thank everyone. This concludes our service for the day. And the family files out. They go by the casket. The pastor is supposed to stand there at the head and you greet people on their way out and, and the family comes last. And they brought this mother and father up to the coffin and they were sobbing. And the mother threw her body across the coffin and she's clinging to it and it was you know very undignified because the cart and everything that it was on was all shaking and the family's trying to steady it and they're trying to pry her away and she was crying uncontrollably no inhibitions very loud and she was saying we loved you so we loved you so and I heard that, and you know, whenever I read John 3.16, that little two-letter word, so, <laughs> I never read it the same way anymore, especially after we lost a son. And you think about uh, how much God must love us in that He would give. He so loves us that He gave His Son. That whoever believes in Him, if we'll look, if we'll come in faith, it's not as hard as you think. Don't underestimate the power of God. So many people resist making a surrender and inviting the Spirit into their lives and asking for the new birth or seeking for the new heart because they think, well, I don't know how I'm going to live the Christian life. Don't you worry about that. You can't without God. Don't worry. But you can, trust me, you can't. You can't do it any more than Peter can walk on water. But when Peter kept his eyes on Jesus, he could walk on water. And when Jesus lifted out his hand, Peter could do the impossible. And he pulled him out of the water. And through Christ, you can do all things. All you've got to do is come to Him, believe in Him, trust in Him, and He can make you a new creature. Now, the emphasis at camp meeting has been on soul winning. And that's why I chose this message. Because I think the greatest obstacle to our soul winning is our own conversions. Is when we get the real thing, when we're really born again, you will not be able to keep people from sharing their faith. We will not be like Nicodemus trying to follow Jesus secretly. If you follow Jesus from a distance like Peter, you'll end up denying him. When the Lord has all of our heart, we're going to want to tell everybody else about it. We will not be able to keep it. It's good news, friends. And before we sing our closing song, I'd just like to ask you, may sound simple. You can be born again. You must be born again. You receive Christ, the engrafted word, into your hearts. You look in faith, and he promises that he will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. This is the new covenant, friends. This is the only way anyone's going to be saved. You maybe have been baptized in water. But you know you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You need to be filled with that first love. And I wonder if there may be some 
We'll end up standing together in just a moment, but maybe you'd like to stand and say, Lord, you've spoken to me today, and I need that new birth, and I'd like to come before you right now and say, give me that new birth. Help me to experience that wind moving in my heart, the fire of the Spirit, that new life. Is that your desire? Would you like to stand in his presence and tell him, Lord, give me that power, that new spirit? Let me pray with you. Loving Lord, we're so thankful for the, the simplicity and the power in your word that we can come as your children in faith. We can confess our helplessness. We can look to you, lifted up on the cross, and know that our Father loves us and, and recognize that he would not do all that he did and give all that he gave unless it was possible for us to be saved. Lord, help us to believe that we can be saved, but not without a new heart. So give us those new hearts, Lord. Help us to experience that new birth. Help us to know that all things have been made new. Old things have passed away, that we are new creatures, that we are different men and women. Transform us, Lord. Work a miracle of revival among your people. We've come together at this camp meeting. You've promised where we come in your name, you're there. You've also promised that if we seek after you, we will be found. You'll be found of us, and Lord, we are seeking you. We know we're living in the last days, and we don't have much time, Lord. We need the baptism of the Holy Spirit so that we can go forth and do what the apostles did and tell the world. Bless us to that end. Be with us through this Sabbath day. We thank you. We pray this earnestly, believing and asking in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.